Please take your seat. Good morning. So good to be with you. What is life all about? What do you think life is all about? Take yourself back, perhaps, to your latest conversation with someone about life. Uh, What did they think? What did they say to you? And uh, what did you agree to? How did you respond? What is life all about to you? Uh, One of my most recent experiences, uh, when I had that conversation with someone, I was on a tourist boat in Greece. Sorry about that. Yes, the island of Corfu. And uh, Naomi and I uh, met some other tourists, as you do, and we struck up a conversation. And uh, lo and behold, it got to the conversation, what is life all about, you know, as it does. And, you know, our, our new friend was saying to us, you know, I think life's not about money, is it? Life's about friends and family, and, and if you can, spending time with them. And uh, it's hard, I've got to confess, Um, It's hard not to nod in agreement in 37 balmy degree weather, sorry again, uh, on a rocky Ionian sea. Um, But it got me thinking, what do I think life's really all about? Is what my friend had to say all that there is to say on the issue? What's life all about? And what about you? How did you respond? What did you nod in agreement to? What do you think life is all about? Uh, These first few chapters of Genesis, which we'll be exploring together over the coming Sundays, shed significant light on this question, what is life all about? It's how the Bible begins to answer the question. It's what Christians, how Christians answer the question, because it's about what God thinks about the question. Uh, So over the next few weeks, we're going to open the Bible to learn about what God thinks life is all about. This week, uh, we're going to explore the issue. I've broken it up into a few different questions. This week, week one, as we look at Genesis chapter one, we're going to ask the question, how do you see the world? What is it? What's the world for? How do you see it? How do you see the world? Next week, we're going to look at humanity. How do you see humans? What are humans all about? Week three, uh, we're going to look at what do you think the problem in our world is. And week four, I'm going to work out what I'm going to do there. (laughs) Week one, how do you see the world? What is the world all about? Uh, Well, let's explore Genesis chapter one together. And as we turn to the opening chapters of Genesis, uh, let me make a quick note on these texts, on Genesis one, two and three and the early chapters in particular, I'm following uh, what most Christian and Jewish scholars uh, think about these texts when I say that these chapters are not a history, uh, they're not a science text, that's not how they're written, that's not the way in which they're written, nor is it their purpose, rather they're theological texts, they're philosophical texts. They're written halfway, halfway between prose and poetry. Maybe you felt that as Fred so wonderfully read it to us. We'll explore that in a moment. But their purpose isn't really historical or scientific. 
The purpose is to tell us about Israel's view of God over and against prevailing views of God. They're written to tell us about Israel's view of God and his relationship with us and with his world in contrast to prevailing views at the time about God's and their relationship with humanity and with the world. Now this is very interesting because actually we have archaeologists have dug up other ideas about what the ancient Near Eastern cultures, nations, religions thought about God and the world. And so in a sense, in a, in a very real way actually, we can compare and contrast Genesis and these other creation stories to learn about what God thinks about the world. In a sense, Genesis is kind of same, same, but different on what God thinks the world is about. And I want to explore that with you today so that we will truly know how, what, how, how to see the world and how God sees the world and what life is all about. Now, I'm going to pray that in the same way that we can look at Genesis and maybe the prevailing views about our world today, and God can do the same thing on us, show us his vision for the world. So, Genesis, let's turn there together. Genesis chapter 1, page 1 of your Bibles. The first thing that we notice about how to see the world is that there is a God. There is a God. Did you notice that? 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This, what we have here is a summary statement of how the Bible begins to understand this question, how to see the world, what's life all about. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Did you notice how comprehensive this first sentence is? It talks about everything, the heavens and the earth. And how concise this first sentence is. In the beginning, one person, God. At risk of stating the obvious, the Bible believes in God. Christians believe in God. For the Bible, for Christians, God is at the beginning of everything. The world is because of him. The world is for him. The world is about him. Life is all about God. Now to many, it will be remarkable that the Bible talks about God and that people like you and me believe that there is a God. In fact, I think it's important to point out to our friends and family that the Bible is not just a little book about tips for life or some helpful meditations, nor is it a little book of calm, you know, to make life okay when you're going through a rough spot. The Bible says, and some people are craving to hear this, and others will cover their ears when you say it, the Bible is all about God. That's the starting place for Christianity. And one of the things this means for us in our day is that life is not about you, and life is not about me. Life is about God. Now that, I imagine, will come as a shock to many of you. I remember it did for me. Uh, I was going through a bit of a quarter-life crisis. I was 25 years old, and uh, Dad took me to a cricket game at the SCG. Great place to talk about life. Plenty of time to do it. And, um, and, and I remember pouring out my heart to Dad. I'm saying, Dad, what am I going to do with my life? What should I do with my life? And he said to me, you know what, Matt? I've come to realize life 
is less about you and less about me, more about God and the opportunities he puts in our lives to love and serve the people around us. So maybe start thinking about other people. (laughs) Can you imagine the shock to a 25-year-old? Life is not about me. Uh, But over time, it's moved from shock to a a different response in me of sweet relief. As I have realized that the world is not on my shoulders, but in the hands of someone else. Imagine if you knew this morning that somebody cared about you and this world more than you do. Well, two things in particular, as the ancients read Genesis, two things in particular I think would have stood out to them. The first one is that there is only one true God. That would have been quite remarkable. In other accounts, of course, in other religions at the time, there were many gods. There was a god of the sea and a god of the land, a god of the sky, a god of this and a god of that, and they're in control of their little elements. It was remarkable to say, actually, there is one God who is in control of all things. Uh, But more importantly, I think it means that you can know what this God is like, and you can learn to trust him. That's what would have been remarkable about this, because there's not many gods in conflict with one another, arguing, changing their minds, and doing different things. In the Bible, there is a unified God. There is one God, and he says in these pages, as I relate to my people, you can get to know me. You can know exactly what I'm like. Of course, we can't know everything about God. He's infinite. But we can know enough to recognize him. And that becomes important when we come to Jesus. The second thing that would have stood out to them Um, is this idea that God and the world are not the same. God is separate from the world. In other ancient cosmologies, uh, the world was made from a God, either a dead God or an alive God, but they were the same thing. And I think this means that there is hope for our world. The fact that our God and the world that he has made are separate, it means that if we don't take care of this world as well as we should, Or if the world doesn't deal us as good a hand as we might like, it means that there's someone who can step in to fix it. So, point one that we see in Genesis, there is a God. Point two, the second thing we find out in Genesis chapter one is there is a purpose in the world. There is order in the way that the world works and it's here for a purpose. Uh, That's what's important. In, the, in Genesis chapter 1, um, I mentioned, or in other creation accounts, the world came together out of an accident or a haphazard war between different gods. In Genesis 1, one God perfectly orders the world for a purpose. That's what's important about this text. Let me show you that, that that's what this text is about. Notice the big picture that from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 through to about 2 verse 2, we go from a state of chaos to completion. That's the big movement, from chaos to order. 1, 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. I'm no Hebrew scholar, but um, I've been told the word there for formless is about chaos. The the words are something like tohu bohu. (laughs) Sounds like what it is, doesn't it? Oh, it's just tohu bohu. 
Apparently, that's an American colloquialism. They use it all the time. Apparently. Apparently. It's a state of chaos. But then God steps in, and six times we hear this beautiful repetition of him bringing order to this tohu bohu. He says, let there be light, and it was so, it was good. Let there be, it was so, it was good. Let there be, it was so, it was good. Let there be, it was so, it was good. And in the end, we have completion. And God says, you'll notice at the end there, he says, and it was good. That doesn't mean its quality was good. I'm sure God makes good things. It doesn't mean uh, it's morally good. It means that it's working. It's like a machine, everything in its perfect place, doing its job. And so the world is brought together in an ordered way. But it's brought together for a purpose. Did you notice, day one, God makes light. He calls it day. What's that about? It's about time. In, in the second day, God creates weather. And in the third day, he creates, or actually he doesn't create so much as he separates land from the sea and he uh, brings about vegetation, and we have food, the basis for food. What's happening here? We have time, we have weather, we have food. We have here the foundations for life. God's ordering the world in such a way that it can sustain life. What we need to see here in Genesis chapter 1 about the world is that it has a purpose. It's all working together perfectly for a purpose. The world's been set up for something. For what? For someone, maybe. For people. For us. The world is a a perfect place for people. And that's going to be the third thing that we see in Genesis. But let me make uh, one aside quickly. If there is a God who's created the world with a purpose... um, I think this is really helpful and I think it gives us hope for our everyday lives. Let me explain why. If, if the world is set up in a particular way, a particular way for us to do relationships, a way for us to do life with one another and our world, it means there's hope because it means we can know how it should be done best. I think because there is a God who's distinct from the world and because there's purpose for our world, It means there's an objective point of view from the designer himself about how life works. Uh, As we live in a world that constantly wants to redefine how to do life, how life works, and who gets to define things, I think we have an answer in Genesis. Uh, Does society get to define things? I think history's told us society doesn't always get it right. Do you and I get to define things? Um, Let's be honest, we've all made life boo-boos. But if there's a God who's separate from the world, who's created the world with a purpose, there is someone with an objective point of view, perhaps the designer himself, who we can go to to find out how to do life. Thirdly, in Genesis chapter 1, How do you see the world? How does God see the world? The world is a place for people. Uh, In other creation accounts, humans are an afterthought. They kind of just happen at the end. They're created to serve and feed the gods. 
In Genesis 1, it couldn't be more different. Humanity is as close as it gets to the climax of the story. Notice after God adds them, he includes the word very. He looks at the world and he says, and it was very good. That's because there's a sense of completion now that humans have turned up. Because they're different to everything else. Did you notice that in 26 and 27? God creates them in his image and likeness. And he gives them a specific and special purpose. Now next week we'll talk about humanity in more detail. Come back, bring a friend. Uh, But very briefly, noticing that humanity is created in the image and likeness of God is very important to understanding what life is all about. Obviously and explicitly in the text, the image of God in us means that we are meant to act like God. We have a purpose God, we're meant to rule the world in, in loving it and serving it in the way that God does. We're meant to be like God. That's a part of it. But I think we should stand back a little bit and see that the image of God in us expresses that we are like God, like no other creature. You and I are like God. We bear resemblance to God. Do you know what that means? We bear family resemblance with God. We have filial relationship with God. As one author put it, it is as if we were his offspring. We are like him because we are made to be a part of his family. Now this leads us uh, toward a conclusion about what Genesis 1 is saying life is all about. We've seen From this account, the life's all about three things, God, purpose, and us. Life is all about, and you can bring all those three things together, it's that simple. The world is made for a purpose, and it's for us to be with God, for God to be with his people. That's the purpose of the world, for us to be with God. It's about relationship with God. And that comes through right at the end of Our text today in Genesis 2.2, we notice that God finishes his work and he rests. Now, I don't think this means God leaves the office, goes on holidays, and takes a long nap. Rather, it's quite the opposite. This is about God taking up residence in his home. As other ancient texts point to when they talk about divine rest It's about God coming into his temple. The purpose of the world is that God wants to dwell in it with his people. What we're seeing here in Genesis 1 is God building a home for him and us. A place where we'll dwell together. God wants to be with us. He shares a connection with us and he'll do anything to keep it. Let me ask you today, do you see the world that way? Is that how you see the world? Do you know God loves you and I so much that he wants to be with us? Now I know our world today doesn't look as perfect as this picture painted it in Genesis chapter 1. But that's just the beginning of the story. And the Bible will go on to talk about that and the world unfolding and the world being separated from God. But the most famous passage in Scripture is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What's that about? That is about God's purpose for the world, that we might be in relationship with him. Is that how you see the world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit and through your Son, bring us back to you, even this morning. Amen. Amen.